The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. Welcome to this last service of the Christian year. On this Sunday, we always celebrate Christ the King. And it always presents a problem to me as a preacher. I always struggle with this Sunday, and I think part of the reason for that is because I have trouble thinking of the Christian faith in terms of kingship and kingdoms. And that's partly because when I think of Jesus, I don't think of him as a hierarchical person. Yet I know that the church is very hierarchical. Even our egalitarian church is quite hierarchical. But there's something else about uh, this whole idea of kingship and kingdoms. There's a part of our human nature, it seems, that at least for some of us is expressed in an infatuation with royalty. And that comes out every time there's a royal wedding. It seems that there are a bunch of Americans that go over, you know, these colonists are going over to England to celebrate that royal occasion. So there's something about that that does sort of catch us. But I've had to find a way to think through this kingship and kingdom idea to make sense of it for me. And we have in this gospel today, I think, the perfect lesson to help us do that. It may have been a bit jarring to hear that reading that we usually hear on Good Friday. And the scene is very familiar to us. Uh, Pilate is in his headquarters and Jesus is brought to him to be uh, found guilty and uh, eventually to be executed. And just outside of where Jesus is meeting with Pilate is the portico. And that's where the religious authorities are gathered. And in the longer text, if you read it and go back and look at that lesson that we do get on Good Friday, you'll see that Pilate went back and forth between questioning Jesus and negotiating with the religious authorities, not once, not twice, but seven times. Pilate had been put in a very difficult position. He was there to make sure that Roman rule uh, was peaceful in Palestine. And now he's faced with all of these people coming into Jerusalem in order to celebrate Passover. 
It was a dangerous time for someone who wanted to maintain authority and good order. And he certainly didn't want to mess it up. It's not good to mess up Roman rule. You might find yourself in a more castaway place than even Palestine. Pilate was faced with a political choice, a political decision. I think it's very possible to imagine that Pilate knew the right thing to do. But he had to make a political choice. You know, some things don't change much over time. When you think about those who represent us in Washington, they are faced with choices as well. On both sides of the aisle, there are tremendous political forces. They may know what is right, but they have to make a political choice, a political decision. Jesus is being charged with sedition, claiming to be king of the Jews. At least that's what they say he claims. And Pilate, it seems, thinks of this as a Jewish problem, not something he ought to have to deal with, but something that should have been taken care of by the chief priest. But he has no choice. So he examines Jesus. The interchange between Pilate and Jesus seems to go on and go on and not lead anywhere. And, you know, uh, Pilate asked Jesus, are you king of the Jews? And Jesus says something that is uh, very revealing of who he is as a person standing before this ruler. He says, did, did you ask that question because it's your question or did somebody put you up to that? Even here, Jesus is asking Pilate to be honest with himself, to be transparent, to be honest about what's happening there. Now, Pilate uh, doesn't take that date. And Jesus and Pilate go back and forth. And then finally, Jesus says something that's extremely important that sounds almost out of place in the text. He says, for this I was born and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. That seems very out of place in this questioning that Pilate had been going through. But when you look at John's gospel, you can remember the voice of the shepherd. It says the shepherd, the sheep hear the shepherd's voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. Jesus is speaking of a king and of a kingdom that is unlike any the world had known. The king embodies truth. This is truth that is not believed or even attested to. It is truth that is known in a person. It is truth found in relationship with the one who embodies that truth. And the kingdom is made up of those who hear his voice and who follow. Pilate then ends this discourse with that famous question, what is truth? And unfortunately, the lectionary text stops just before that question. It's almost unimaginable because this whole thing is leading up, really, to Pilate's question, what is truth? In 1955, Paul Tillich uh, wrote a book entitled The New Being. And I always fall back on this around this question of truth because he is so clear about what this truth that Jesus is speaking about is. In fact, he says, 
that Jesus is declaring a profound change in the understanding of what truth is. This new understanding of truth becomes particularly clear throughout John's gospel. And if you've read John's gospel recently, which we did in the uh, midweek study group, this idea of truth comes up uh, throughout that gospel in sort of strange ways. And it's not until you read this passage where Jesus responds to Pilate about the question, what is truth, that all of those other passages make sense. In the gospel, we hear the word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And then later in chapter 14, Jesus says, and I will pray the father and he will give you the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. And then perhaps the most important passage of all, uh, one that we often hear ending the reading from John at uh, funerals. I am the way, the truth, and the life. In each of these passages, the truth of which Jesus speaks is not the truth of doctrine, but it is the truth of presence. And then Tilly goes on uh, this way, talking about it. If Jesus says, I am the truth, he indicates that in him, the true, the genuine, The ultimate reality is present, or in other words, that God is present, unveiled, undistorted. And here is a particularly important distinction that Tillich makes. Jesus is not the truth because his teachings are true, but his teachings are true because they express the truth which he himself is. He is more than his words. And he is more than any word said about him. Truth is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Then Tillich goes on to talk about the fact that the church lost track of that sense of what real truth is. So over the years and very early on, it started to argue about true faith, true belief. And we still argue about that today. And the church is so taken off track, it seems, because we have lost sight of the fact we are called to the truth found in a person in Jesus Christ, now the resurrected Christ. For Pilate, the truth was standing in front of him and he could not recognize it. And I think that's possible for us as well. The gentle voice of the shepherd is the voice of truth, inviting us into abundant life. But to fully enter into that kingdom of abundant life, we must open ourselves to the truth of ourselves. And then we present that truth to him to be made whole where we are incomplete, to be healed where we are sick, to be comforted in our pain, to be encouraged when we despair, to be emboldened to do good and to seek justice when we are afraid. The voice of the shepherd is the voice of the king, a different kind of king, Christ the king. Amen.